welcome to Return to Russia, where we speak again the ancient oaths by going through Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight books and put everything into a wider Cosmere context. So, a spoiler warning is in effect for every Cosmere book published at the time of recording, and that means up to Rhythm of War for now. My name is Anna, and today I am joined by Ben and Dee to talk about the prologue scene of all of the Stormlight books, which is Gavilas' assassination. From Yasna's point of view, we learn about that in the prologue of Words of Radiance, which is called To Question. Ben, why don't you tell us about what happens to Yasna on the fateful night in the palace of Kolinar? Thank you, Anna. So this is Ben. And Yasna has a very eventful night at the King's Feast. She runs into her father and Amaram, the kind of oily guy that they were trying to get her to marry. She has a encounter with Shadesmar for the first time, gets to meet her spren, runs into a few heralds, meets with an assassin, and finally rushes to see her father being assassinated. And that's kind of the ins and outs of the chapter, maybe not quite in perfect chronological order, but from here I will throw it over to D to do a short read-in for the beginning. All right, thank you, Ben. So as was mentioned, this was the prologue to question. Six years ago, Yasna Kolin pretended to enjoy the party, giving no indication that she intended to have one of the guests killed. She wandered through the crowded feast hall, listening as wine greased tongues and dimmed minds. Her uncle Dalinar was in the full swing of it, rising from the high table to shout for the Parshendi to bring out their drummers. Yasna's brother, Elokar, hurried to shush their uncle though the Alethi politely ignored Dalinar's outburst. All save Elokar's wife, Asudan, who snickered primly behind a handkerchief. And I wanted to end the read right there because Asudan just shows already her colors that early. I don't like her. She's definitely the mean girl of the royal court there for the night. Well, Alethi propriety aside, that's a whole issue in and of itself, that the breaking of it in this case is just kind of like a really rude thing to do. Yeah. There's a lot of Alethi propriety that doesn't make sense to, I guess, our sort of cultural relativity. She's just not good. Not a good person. No. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, because she's so mean to the family she married into. Like, the reason she has all the status that she has at that party, and she's just totally riding over her mother-in-law, we find out later, making fun of their uncle. Kind of unforgivable. (laughs) Yeah, and when this is the, at this feast is where Yasna admits to her quote-unquote heresy, where I think we find out through basically deduction from what we hear bits and pieces of that she just said she doesn't believe the same thing and she's just kind of finding out what she believes and they just vilify her for it and they're all gossiping about her talking behind her back and she did it just to distract everybody from going to meet an assassin 
Shall we talk about her meeting that assassin and hiring her for not assassinating someone, but being in a position to at some point? What's her game there? I actually have that highlighted. So when she gets there, she's told she's late because there's this whole instance with that Shades Mar draw. But instead of, she just gives no reply and no excuses, and she goes to hand an envelope. She takes an envelope out and goes to hand it to her. She sets two fingers on it. She considers, and then she says, no, this is too brash. And then she hands her a different envelope. So I think in that instant, she was going to have Liz kill somebody, but decided against it. You think she's that impulsive about stuff like that? Yeah. Okay. 100%. Okay. Yeah, and I think she was going to have Aesudan killed, I think was going to happen. I was going to say the same thing. She puts the envelope down, thinks about it, and then sends her to look after Aesudan just to not kill her, but to keep an eye on her instead. And I have the coppermind.net summary for Words of Radiance prologue. And it says she hurries on to the meeting where she tells the assassin Liss that she only wants her brother's wife, Asudon, watched for now. I wonder what happens to Liss because we don't have much about her after this. We only have that she has a contract on Asudon and that Liss was never ordered to kill Asudon as she was still alive several years later. Anything else you want to say about Liz? We don't know anything about her yet, right? No, other than that she has a shard blade. She probably has a shard blade. And we all expect her to come back, right? Yeah. Or to be someone. To have been someone. Oh, most definitely. I think that she might end up working for the Ghostbloods by the time that she comes back in. Just due to the fact that she's that spy assassin type and that's what the Ghostbloods take in. Mm-hmm. And the leader of the Ghostbloods is Kelsier. Hmm. I gotta throw a spoiler in there somewhere. We have the spoiler warning, so you can... <laughs> it's already been done, I'm just... Make use of that <laughs> and do the biggest one we have at this point. The latest and the biggest one. I think we should come back to Yasna's point of view. And what I wanted to talk about next is the fact that on her way through the palace, she talks to people, she overhears people. And in each of those cases, if she had just stayed, thought about it, and listened a bit more, she would have learned so much, but she always keeps on going. She sees Seth. She wonders about him. She sees her father and Amaram. She wonders what they're talking about. She hears two people who we know are heralds and wonders what they're talking about. And each time she just goes on, <laughs> wonders about all those mysteries and doesn't stay to investigate, which is weird for a scholar, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it shows just how, like, flustered she is and how much she wants to go see this assassin. Because, I mean, she exposed herself as a heretic for this meeting to cover it up. She also has, like, these episodes that are a sign of her learning to use her powers, which I think fluster her a bit, because who wouldn't be flustered? There's also that before all of this, because the feast was, it happened in the year 1167. She was born in 1139, and then Gavilar became the king in 1163. But at about the ages of 12 to 13, Yasna suffered from a case of lunacy. Oh... This is still something that we've only had bits and pieces of. And when she reflects on this period of time, she remembers a dark room and screaming her voice ragged. According to her, this was when she learned that people she loved could still hurt her. And this was in Oathbringer chapter 47 that we get that reflection. So there's still, there's a lot that we don't know about her character and why she's a little bit hyper fixated on certain things. Because that's all I can describe her as. She's diligent. Like after Gavilar's death, the last line in the prologue, there is just basically talking about how she's gonna do nothing but write his biography and get to the bottom of what was going on. And that's what she does, right? And she turns him into this hero figure in her head? 
Yeah. So that makes sense. Let us talk about her very short conversation with Gabler, which I recall when I first read this, I read this in a friendly, fatherly way, which I don't now. Mm -hmm. Because now I know that at the same night, he tells his wife that he hates his children because he's just a charming man. So how did you, do you remember how you first read it? If Were you still at, under the apprehension because oh, we had heard about him, that he's this awesome guy and this great king? I took it in a good light at first as the line, is it lonely to be so singular in your brilliance? I took it as a good light until the next line, she took it as the rebuke it was. Yeah, I, I reflected that on her. I thought he was teasing her lovingly and she was... Just not having it. Yeah, she was bound to, because that's how we sometimes are with family members and parents. Like, of course you're saying something mean, if, even if they don't. It turns out she was right, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. He's an ass. Yeah, I thought he was being pretty rude, just from my first impression, I think. Okay, you're smarter than me. No, I just think it was more in the way that he just blew her off entirely for this conversation. And then by the end of the conversation, too, he's just like, you know, I gotta go. I got more important things to do than talk to you. Do we want to talk about the Heralds? I think this is a good spot to put them in there. So we actually get a viewpoint of a conversation between Nail and Kolak. We are pretty sure it's these guys. I'm going to read you a short bit of that, okay? Just the end when Yasna walks down the hallway. I think it's shortly before she realizes that her father is in grave danger. Words echoed in the hallway, coming from up ahead. I'm worried about Ash. You're worried about everything. Yasna hesitated in the hallway. She's getting worse, the voice continued. We weren't supposed to get worse. Am I getting worse? I think I feel worse. Shut up. I don't like this. What we've done was wrong. That creature carries my lord's own blade. We shouldn't have let him keep it. He... The two passed through the intersection ahead of Yasna. They were ambassadors from the west, including the Azish man with the white birthmark on his cheek. Or was it a scar? The shorter of the two men, he could have been a lathy, cut off when he noticed Yasna. He let out a squeak, then hurried on his way. I should check further into these two, she thought. She'd investigated their backgrounds, of course, and found nothing of note. Had they been talking about a shard blade? Yes, Yasna, yes, and why does your investigation is so bad? Yeah, that, that's kind of what people are talking about when they say blade. Mm-hmm. It's capitalized as well. People don't talk about swords like that. <laughs> I don't know how to do that while reading, but it's a capitalized blade. Yeah. I also want to mention how that conversation happens while Zeth is battling Gavilar. Mm -hmm. So Nail and Kalak basically just walked out. They must have seen that Zeth has the blade. They must have seen him on the rampage and just ignored him and let him kill Gavilar. Oh, most definitely. They had zero loyalty to protecting Gavilar. Well, and we find out in Venli's POV, chapter 77 of Rhythm of War, Nail tells Venli to go hire this assassin. They organized this thing. At this point, we already know that they either saw him start to murder people or were involved with him earlier because why? how else would they know that he has the shard blade? And which shard blade it is? Yeah, they have to have seen it or seen his surge binding. So if we think about it, he tells Venli to hire Seth or to take Seth on 
And before that, Seth belonged to Liz, the assassin we just met. How is that all connected? Because can it be a coincidence that the former owner is there and the... No. No? No. <laughs> this is exactly why what we were talking about earlier with Liz is coming back. Liz is super suspect in this whole thing. Yes, I would suspect that she was already hired or nudged by someone to be in Colinar with this servant of hers so that he can then be switched over to Vendi. We have an unreliable narrator. Always. That is going through a grieving, traumatic moment of screaming out at her father minutes before he dies and falls from a balcony, which I don't... He turns around and looks at her, which was probably not the greatest idea in his situation, but... <laughs> I, I don't know. I actually don't want to say that he had feelings like he wanted to protect his daughter because he seems like a terrible person. Uh, every piece of shit can have a soft spot somewhere. I want to mention that the fifth book is supposed to have a prologue from the point of view of Gavilar. Yes. And I cannot wait for what that entails. Do you think he's getting redeemed or it's getting worse? Because up until now, I think our opinion of Gavilar has just worsened and worsened and worsened with every book. So the question whether I think it's going to get redeemed or get worse is yes. Okay, <laughs> fair. I think it's going to be like the trope of humanizing the villain, yeah. where you start to feel more for their motivations, even though they're still a piece of shit. So I think we're going to see some redeeming qualities and then have the, you know, piece of shit qualities. Well, like the core principle is it's the journey before the destination, so... Oh, you had to do that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a play on the philosophy of morality that the ends justify the means. <laughs> yes, I mean, we're going to talk about that a lot <laughs> because it's a Brandon thing in all of his books. Yep. Mostly the villains are utilitarians mm -hmm. in his books. And Yasna has a lot of utilitarian style of, you know, interacting with the world as we're gonna come to unveil further and further into the series. If you follow logic to the end, that's where you end up. I can confirm yeah. <laughs> that this, this is truth. It's also one of those things that you start, the more you study morality and ethics, you start to realize that there is no objective morality or ethicality. And there's always going to be those fringe arguments where it's like, well, the lion doesn't care about the morality of the sheep. And then these arguments that don't really make arguments, they just make noise. Mm -hmm. We've drifted far mm -hmm. afield. Yes. We're going to talk about this a lot. So let's let's see this as a teaser for everyone. That's what we're going to do and what D is going to do a lot. That's why we have him here. And that's why there has to be somebody to kind of like pull me back a little bit. Hi, that's my job. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is like the last time we will talk about uh, Yasna point of view for a while because it, it, it is her first there is no Yasna point of view in way of kings or in words of radiance because she's she's dead dead <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a very good point yeah it's the first time we get into her head and then we quite soon afterwards we lose her yeah and then we get her back at the end of the book yeah i think mm. i think nobody really thought she was dead right because we got into her head well and we start learning later on that i think it's yeah, we learn a little bit in Way of Kings that Radiance, or pre-Radiance, whatever we want to call those. Surge Binders? Yeah, Surge Binders get the ability to heal, so it's pretty... I mean, she's still going down in a ship. After being stepped, yes. Y'all are smarter than I am. She goes down into what used to be a ship, and what then decided not to be a ship. Oh, <laughs> right. But yeah, y'all both are definitely had a, a better 
handle on the fact that Yasno was not going to be completely dead. I, for some reason, was just totally sold on it. I was like, no, really? They just, they killed her off just like that? My first go through, I wasn't too sure. I was holding out doubt, but it wasn't until later on in the series we started learning about radiance and transportation. And it was at that point that it was like, oh, what, she just puked. That's a good point, yeah. What a great opportunity to talk about radiance and transportation, to talk about the big thing in this chapter, which is Yasna falling into Shadesmar after being haunted by her spren. She has had some of these episodes before where, like, the shadows change and she sees figures. Yeah. She is pre-First Oath at this point, right? Yeah. It's just Ivory having decided on her. And there's a little bit of question in that, too, because there's the moment where yes. the shadow does that and she kind of just snaps at it, saying, that's enough, and then... A figure forms from the shadows, standing and rising. And then he unsheaths a sword. And it's like, I think it was Ivory trying to stop her from making the bond. I agree with you on that. Because we hear a lot of Spren in Shadesmar saying, if a human tried to bond me, I'd kill them. Interesting. Yep. And you see him later on at the end for Shadesmar sequence before she gets teleported out. There's a section where the dark figure stepped up onto the platform. He again slid his sword from his sheath. Yeah. And it wasn't until she uses the statue with a sword and makes the statue move actively that he's like, okay, I can respect that. You've got a decent handle on what you can do. Maybe I can trust you. So you think he didn't want her to bond him, but he was there. Do you think that there's like a, a mythical whatever power that draws the spren to their perspective? knights against their will almost not necessarily against their will it was oh just just makes them curious yeah i think ivory wasn't going to actively stop her there's a certain amount of consent in starting that bond that is heavily emphasized no no i didn't try to imply that she was bond him against her will this is not wheel of time Ew. no but i wondered why is he there if he's not interested in a bond because the other spren we know have searched out their people because they wanted a bond that's why they were there I think he is interested in a bond. I think he's interested in testing her and making sure that she has the capabilities of problem solving on her own without his help. It was more a no, not yet kind of. Yeah. Okay. Because once he makes that full transition to the physical realm, he starts losing his mental capacity. It might be a little bit less with radiance that have that connection to Shadesmar itself, but there's just a certain amount of testing the water where he tries to push her which i can kind of respect <laughs> yeah the, the two of them they really are match made in shadesmar or whatever because <laughs> that's what she does right i mean if you think about the way she treats shalan and i i am reading it now i'm pretty sure that from the first moment she met shalan she was pretty sure she would take her on and that there was something special about her and yet she like pushed her away and pushed her away to see can she handle this yeah which is quite similar to this dynamic we see right here and i think ivory had a lot to do with that we just don't get that much from him. Ivory's awesome. Yeah, I think I think Ivory is definitely pushing Yasna's motivations more than we get to see. On the wind's pleasure, Yasna even says he does not like me to speak of him. It makes him anxious. So Yeah, he's a super introvert. Like he just wants to be left alone. He wants his person, that's it. <laughs> Yep, and if I recall right, in the later books when we get more of Yasna and Ivory interactions kind of on camera, Ivory is kind of rejected by all of his spren because he went against the, you know, the mainstream and found a Night Radiant. He's a rebel. Yeah. She can never, like, know what that, what that is like. <laughs> Having just been 
branded a heretic like 10 minutes before. Do you think that's what finally drew him to her, maybe, in this big sequence? Hmm. It's a possibility. I think their bond might have started before that, since she has a little bit of familiarity with the shadows acting oddly. I think he has been there, but I think that Ben has a point that that would have been interesting to him, at least. Yeah, the heresy moment probably put a little bit of more, you know, maybe this person is somebody that I can talk to without the, the religious overtones. Yes, yeah, so because it's basically following the logic yeah. that she does to get to the point. Yeah, I could see that. It had not occurred to me before, and I like that idea. <laughs> and maybe this would be a good opportunity if uh, Dee wanted to read that section about the Shadesmar test almost maybe that's what we'll call it from here yeah where ivory pulls her in there to see how she uses her powers and how quick of a thinker she is yeah i did have it marked out to stop out and talk because in this bit we have uh, a little bit of a hint at to what the second oath of the else callers is Ooh, intriguing the figure before her glanced at the wall the wall lamp nearest the asno went dark and then, then the palace disintegrated. The entire building shattered into thousands upon thousands of small glass spheres, like beads. Yasna screamed as she fell backward through a dark sky. She was no longer in the palace, she was somewhere else. Another land, another time, another something. She was left with the sight of the dark, lustrous figure hovering in the air above. Seeming satisfied as he resheathed his sword, Yasna crashed into something, an ocean of the glass beads. Countless others rained around her, clicking like hailstones into the strange sea. She had never seen this place. She could not explain what had happened or what it meant. She thrashed as she sank into what seemed an impossibility, beads of glass on all sides. She couldn't see anything beyond them, only felt herself descending through this churning, suffocating, clattering mass. She was going to die, leaving work unfinished, leaving her family unprotected. She would never know the answers. No, Yasna flailed in the darkness, beads rolling across her skin, getting into her clothing, working their way into her nose as she tried to swim. It was no use. She had no buoyancy in this mess. She raised a hand before her mouth and tried to make a pocket of air to use for breathing, and managed to gasp in a small breath. But the beads rolled around her hand, forcing between her fingers. She sank, more slowly now, as through a viscous liquid. And I wanted to stop there because that bit where she was talking about or thinking about how she was going to die, leaving her work unfinished. That's when we get our little hint that the Else Caller's second oath is, I will reach my potential. Nice one. Thank you for the reading, Dee. That was lovely. It's just those little moments where Sanderson kind of dangles it under our nose that we know what the O's are. We should know what the O's are. We should expect them when they're sworn. Yeah, and I think as the books progress, the fandom has gotten a lock onto it. I think that almost everyone expected Kaladin's 
oath, the one that he swore in a Rhythm of War that was pretty much agreed on. Because we learn and we know what to look out for and it's just a sign of a very well done foreshadowing and consistent world building that these make sense and looking back they always have made sense. Yeah, it's very entertaining to get to that moment after all the foreshadowing and it's taken me a few books to finally get on the system start being able to predict but that's also why i love having these conversations i think it's conversations with anna and with d and some of the other hosts that i've had that have helped me be able to see what's coming which part of the gabla Kurlin assassination which part do you think is still missing what's the big mystery because after the first book the big mystery was who did this right and then after this one that we just talked about the question was why did they do this because we know it's The Pashendi say it was us, and uh, we're like, well... <laughs> so, who do we have unaccounted for mm -hmm. in this assassination? That's what I want to talk about. On the night of, we have a pretty good running approximation of where Zeth is, from his point of view. We have a decent approximation of Yasna's, with a little gap in the beginning, because I believe there's just a bit where she's just at the party and then leaves where other events have happened in other prologues. We know where Dalinar is because he's... He's drunk. Mm. He's blacked out drunk. Yep. He is the life of the party. That's a good way to take someone who's very powerful out of the game, by the way. Just have them black out drunk. But one person that we don't have a very good... Or two people, actually, is a Sudan. Very true. There's a lot of gaps. Very true. And there's a lot of gaps in Elokar's whereabouts. And Elokar's explained a little bit by Yasna saying he's kind of stuck holding court yeah. and like maintaining the feast. I'm, I'm not saying that Elokar's up to something, but there is a moment he is noted at the party talking to an Azish man and an Alethi man, and I wonder whether that's oh. Nail and Kalak. Oh, it has to be. This combination. I think of it is. So at this point, I think we have Nail and Kalek talking to every major party in the feast except Zeth. They were definitely talking to Gavilar. Yes. I can't remember if they talked to Navani because I haven't done too much notes with that. I think Navani just saw yeah. them in her study. They speak to or speak around everybody involved. They are seen by everybody in a point of view so far. Mm -hmm. This is about them. <laughs> Yeah, this is about them. This prologue isn't about the assassination. Gavilar doesn't matter. It's the Heralds. The whole series is just, what are the Heralds doing? Okay, I think we've talked about this chapter enough. We've opened a lot of cans of worms, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing how much else we can uh, glean while reading on. So I'm going to read the last three lines of this chapter because they apply. Next came the books. A dedicated, frenzied effort to distract her from what she had lost. That night, Yasna had seen the impossible. She would learn what it meant. And so will we. So everybody, thanks for listening. Remember, journey before destination. And I hope you will return to Rosha with us again.